Welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, everyone. And today, I'm out on site with prized Australian export Ken Ham from Answers in Genocide. Ken, welcome to the show. It, this is feasible. This happened. He could feed them. He could look after them. This was a real event. It did happen. The evidence is all over the earth. As the audience can tell from the imagery behind us, I'm here for a tour of your Titan Ark. So we're not building this Ark to float. Just like the original one wasn't. So as we go inside... Uh, I'll give you a little overview of what we see in there. Good stuff. Well, in we go then. We've actually built this as a building, designed as a ship, built as a building, 15 feet off the ground, anchored to three towers. And the towers hold the uh, restrooms, Uh the elevators, the stairs, the exit stairs. The exit stairs are so big we're permitted to exit 10,000 people at one time. Well, I'd anticipate that many people trying to escape this nonsense. So you'll see those as we walk through here. Those three towers, if you put those three towers together... That would be as big as, say, uh, something like an eight-storey Hampton Inn Hotel. If you look across here, they're building quite a large petting zoo. Baby pterodactyls, oh my God, they're so cute! Uh, Back here, they're building a 2,100-seat restaurant. Is that pterodactyl steak I can smell? So, you know, people need to stop having an evolutionary view of history and say, you know, Noah was a very intelligent guy. Oh, thanks, Ken, and you have very lovely... Whiskers. Uh huh. Now, we're surrounded by your staff. How would you describe them? Hundreds and hundreds of tools. And what sort of feedback have you been getting from Christians? I've had people tell me it's so depressing, what can we do? So, when you need motivation, who do you look to as a father figure? Well, you know, Hitler said, he who owns the youth owns the future. Right, so indoctrinating children is the main goal here. I can't see anyone believing this nonsense once they hit puberty. Raise up generations of kids without those doubts. Bingo. Otherwise, financially, it doesn't work. Of course not, and you have to be gentle. We're not hitting them on the head with the Bible. You know, that we're not imposing this view on them. (coughs) Kentucky taxpayers. (coughs) Quickly, I must ask, your good friend Ray Comfort's 8-horsepower solid gold butt plug, it's rumoured to be biblically inspired. Why wouldn't Noah have been able to invent something like that? I guess that makes sense. Ken Ham, thanks for appearing on The Herd Mentality. Because we're not stopping here. We've already got Phase 2, Phase 3, Phase 4 and so on planned. Righto, mate. Microphone's off. Just between you and me. What's really going on? No, I couldn't have built that ark. There's no way you could fit the animals on board. There never was a flood. There's no evidence for the flood. Man evolved from apright creatures. The Big Bang, that's how we all got here. No, the Bible's not true. Well done. <laughs> I hope he hears that. Odin, dva, tri, tutiri, piet. One, two, three, four, five. Welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, an eclectic non-weekly mix of atheistic, humanistic and scientific conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection and, God willing, entertain you with some scintillating repartee. This is a listener-supported show and you can help boost quality and quantity at HerdMentalityPodcast.com and then click on support. Your contribution makes all the difference for the show and 10% of it goes to women in developing countries. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, found on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. And it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Herd Mentality Podcast after a long break and joining me... Relieved, exhausted, uh, triumphant. I don't know if they're Sun- good adjectives. Uh, Dan Aaron. Sunburned. <laughs> Sun- sunburned. <laughs> How are you doing, sir? I'm I'm doing well, other than this very painful sunburn I picked up in Kentucky. Mm, best avoided. 
Yeah. Well, that's, you know, you know, I got it by um, arguing with one of Kent Hovind's minions. Right. Not. I got stuck out, <laughs> stuck out in the sun for too long, and I got burned. Yeah, that'll happen. <laughs> so, you ran a successful little crowdfunding campaign to get you over to the thick of it. Answers in genocide. Uh, yeah, I, I asked for a thousand bucks to help get over there, and people poured money and uh, make sure I was in Kentucky for the grand opening of the Ark Encounter. Right. So from the horse's mouth, talk us through it. As I was pulling up, I had noted to the man driving me, Tony, who was uh, had a PR guy for Tri-State Freethinkers there in Kentucky, and there's signs everywhere saying, you know, be prepared to stop. Uh, major traffic exit, whatever the exit number was, it was it was warning you that you were going to be stuck there for a while. And I've never driven through an exit so fast in my entire life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was that way the entire day. But um, Tri-State Free Thinkers had a massive setup of tents and signs and oh, somewhere around 150 people. And they were just lined up on the side of the road on the only exit you could take to reach the Ark Encounter. And they were there to welcome every car that drove down there. And there just wasn't all that many of them. Were there about 7,000 people there for the opening day? Not even close. Oh. Yeah. So, so the, the yeah. mayor, uh, somewhat exaggerated, said claim. Yeah. The, the, the claim that it was 7,000 people there, I'm not sure where that number comes from. The local media said 4,000. And that number, I believe, came from Ken Ham. <laughs> and with, with Ken Ham's math skills, 4,000 is probably about seven people. <laughs> <laughs> I can get gospel out to more people with a cheap microphone <laughs> in a recording yeah. studio without the need of uh, the arc itself. Now, you heard the little splinter view at the beginning of this show. Was that a, a fairly accurate representation of the, say, a walkthrough? Yeah, that was perfect. I mean, it is they do employ about a hundred tools, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of which they sent over to the protest to take pictures of us and talk to us. Oh, so they, us. they didn't join in? Uh, no, they sent us. They handed us all million dollar bills. Oh, the, that old chestnut. Yeah, and on the back of it, it had something written on it. No one, no one bothered to read it. <laughs> Damn this! This whole thing sounds like a fizzer. I expected, you know, uh, gunfire and. All sorts of, you know, people running up and down screaming, nudity. Uh, well, that was Kent, uh, or not Kent, sorry, Eric Hovind was trying his best to get us furious at him. He was trying to provoke a fight the entire time. Right. He was putting up signs in front of ours that just did not make sense, like asking us if we protested Spider-Man. <laughs> what? No. We encourage <laughs> Spider-Man for his acts yeah. of generosity and selflessness. <laughs> I, I told him if, if Spider-Man tr started trying to take away same-sex marriage, I would protest Spider-Man, but until then. <laughs> but, yeah, so he was trying very hard. He was trying to engage people and especially get them on video because you know his whole his whole thing. He wants you he wants to ask you a question about evolution. Yeah. You say, um, and that's the only clip he's going to show. Yeah. And, yeah, so he was there really trying hard. And the only people he got to engage were his usuals, R and uh, Ra, uh -huh. who just owned him. I don't know if you saw the video or not, but not yet. he couldn't hold a candle to him. He just kept yelling, you know, did we come from monkeys or, or something like that? And Aaron was like, no, don't ask. We came from apes. <laughs> uh, and then David Silverman got into it pretty good with him. And, uh, but that was it. I mean, they kept it 
civil. They're, they they yeah. were themselves, but it sounds, it sounds know, like more of a social event where you get to hang out with cool people like Aaron and David. It was, and the reaction was really good. So what, what you had is you had a bunch of people around having fun, mm-hmm. so everyone was happy. So when people were driving by, they weren't seeing a bunch of miserable atheists like they think <laughs> we are. Um, they were seeing really excited people, but cars were honking nonstop. Any car that drove by, if, if five cars drove by, three of them honked at us and waved. Uh, honked in what? In a, in a nice, friendly way? In a nice, in a nice honk-friendly way. Right. And, and then waved at us. Only a couple people yelled boo, a couple people told us off, but <laughs> that was it. Most people waved. Every truck was honking at us. Like The thing is, is our signs represented what we were protesting. We weren't protesting a stupid arc. We were protesting taxpayer dollars going towards it. Yeah. And the signs reflected that. The signs made sure that people knew that they were paying for this thing. And uh, my sense from talking to people in Kentucky is they don't want to pay for that thing. Mm. Even if they agree with it, they don't want to pay for it. Well, they shouldn't have to. Right. So did you get to the arc itself? I did not. Oh. Yeah. Unfortunately, I did not make it to the arc. I wasn't not going to pay. And Eric Hovind had invited a, a handful of people for a free tour, but uh, because I wouldn't engage with him, I was not welcome. Mm. Well, it's, it's kind of sad. I really want to know what it's, what it's well, actually like. I had a good conversation with David Smalley about what it was like, mm-hmm. and he said, really, it was hilarious. There's very, very few animal enclosures on the Ark. So, you know, they talk about how there was, you know, 1,400, 14,000, whatever animals on the Ark, and then there's about 20 displayed. Right. And David kept asking the tour guide, you know, why didn't you display them all to show us it could work? And they had every excuse in the book. Well, we had to put bathrooms in here. And he's like, you have like 18 buildings outside, put the bathrooms in there. Yeah, but a bathroom, yeah. that's what, maybe a third of an elephant? I mean, exactly. Yeah. Um, Six lemurs. Yeah, yeah and a lot, a lot of it was made up of uh, displays that wouldn't have technically been in the ark, but they wanted to show on this floor what they would do, because you can't walk through every inch of it. It's sort of an illusion that it's as big as it is, because it's not as big inside. Mm. And uh, one thing David noted was that he went in the middle of the afternoon, a yeah. peak peak visiting time and said it was a ghost town right it was like they had the place to themselves wandering around asking questions a funny thing in the bible they never name any of the women on the ark so none of the none of the wives but they all had names in the in the display so it's all about how you interpret it so david smalley said well where these names come from if they're not in the bible and the guy said oh we took a poll and asked all the employees <laughs> to pick their favorite names. And so, oh, one oh, of them come, come is here. actually... Here's Noah's <laughs> wife, Chardonnay Mercedes. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. uh, one of them is named after Ariel from Disney. Uh, and then they just they looked up the Hebrew, the closest Hebrew name to Ariel and used that. Yeah, I think in that... Um, <laughs> casting my mind back, I don't, I don't recall seeing too many different mermaids there. No, the, shallow I, I don't... Pool. I don't think there are any mermaids on the ark. <laughs> this is all but so there are, there are unicorns on the ark. It's so surreal. I mean, I, I was actually expecting this would do quite well. I expected the opening day to be huge. Mm. I really did. I, I thought opening day would be a massive big deal, and then we would see it flounder after at least the first year. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of thought he'd ride that that high horse for a year. Like you know, look, no, everyone wants to come to this. I don't want to say I was disappointed that there weren't cars lined up because I thought the engagement would have been really good for us. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm happy no one went. 
Yeah. <laughs> so it's like a catch-22. I would have loved to have engaged with more people driving by, but at the same time, no one went. Yeah, it's a and, <laughs> slim pickings. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a lot of church vans, um, and that was our target, too. A lot like Aaron's uh, sign he had was just talking about how it was a, it was just a little cartoon picture of the Ark and explained that it was a myth. And a van came by, and all these kids looked out the window at us, and Aaron just held it up and yelled, this is for you. <laughs> <laughs> Run away. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's what, one thing. I, I don't think for the first two hours I spent a second without a camera and a microphone in my face because people, the news crews just poured over there. So there, were, there was more media there than, uh, and possibly, I mean, Ken must have had more retweets than visitors to the park. Oh, for sure. The, and most of his retweets are from atheists. Yes. Well, <laughs> usually I. I make a point of going there on a day-to-day basis and just giving him a little bit of a leg up because I think he needs all the help he can get. <laughs> was it worthwhile, Dan? It was more than worthwhile. I, if I would have saw like video of this or anything from this and it was not there, uh, I would have been disappointed because the entire thing was, was perfect. The president of Tri-State Food Thinkers, Jim Helton, said it perfect last night when he said, us being there changed the entire story the media told. Now, that was worthwhile. That's a thousand bucks well spent. Yeah. Not a single story was Ark Encounter Opens. It was the Ark Encounter Opens under protest. <laughs> and every new story that ran, ran us, and generally was running us more than them because we were saying more interesting things. And the media was very much in agreement with us. Every person that interviewed me was kind of asking me to reaffirm what they kind of wanted me to say because <laughs> they agreed. They yeah. thought it was a waste of taxpayer money. And they thought, I mean, these are adult journalists that went to college. They know this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> they're, yes, schooled in how to cut through nonsense. Yeah. And I mean, just the single fact that one person asked me, what do you think a kid's going to think when they walk through and see dinosaurs and then a unicorn? And I said, they're going to think exactly what I want them to think. Oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so, where, where, okay, where's it all up to now with taxpayer dollars? Uh, so he has been fully approved for the $18 million tax rebate. Um, and I don't know if you know much of the story about how that happened, but uh, real he quickly. He countersued, didn't he? He countersued. The judge agreed. But at, when the judge agreed, the judge only said the state has to re-look at your application. Mm-hmm. So uh, their new Tea Party governor, who was elected uh, right before the ruling. So a Tea Party replaced a Democrat. Uh, so you have a far-right Christian who said while campaigning, I want the art to be supported, mm-hmm. got elected. The ruling came out in their favor. He said, I will not countersue. I will not, you know, uh, appeal. I will, I will let the ruling stand. And then the tourism tax board was made up of all people that said no originally. He fired every single one of them and hired all new people. Oh, my goodness. And then they all unanimously said yes. Oh, funny that. Weird, isn't it? Astonishing. Did they have the same hiring practices, I wonder, as Ken did for his 100 tools? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that's it's kind of mind-blowing that they just don't see the hypocrisy in what they're doing. But, you know, he did the same thing. That, that, that governor fired um, the entire, like, college uh, educational department that, they, that the government has. I can't. In Kentucky, I don't remember what they call it. And he put, like, four young earth creationists on the board uh, for, like, they're in charge of colleges now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just going to destroy that place. Well, 
Look, I think you've done a fine service to the secular community, Dan. You have to be applauded for it. Oh, thank you. Mm. <coughs> Pardon me. I think I'm coming down with some sort of um, evolving virus. <coughs> an intelligently designed virus. <laughs> So, Dan, thank you very much for coming on The Herd Mentality and giving us a brief oh, update. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to have you on. Oh, by the way, uh, what book have you got coming out this week? Well, uh, I have a book coming out October 1st. Ah. Uh, Don't you uh, get one I'm- out each week? <laughs> I, I try to shoot for one every week. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, the secular uh, – yeah, the secular uh, – God. Come on, you what wrote it. it. You have to edit that. <laughs> nope. It's Dan <laughs> right wife's, My wife's laughing at me behind me. Um, the Secular Activist comes out October 1st, mm-hmm. uh, forward written by David Silverman. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, about my Ark Encounter journey. You know, it's, it's United States based. It's United States atheists who have undertaken uh, big uh, battles, sort of like I did, mm-hmm. uh, in different realms. So people trying to fight their government for secular invocations to get creationism out of schools, uh, all these different things. And it's just a, a book that's to tell people that they can do this. Yeah. It's, you know, the big organizations can't do everything. They try. You did some sort of TED talk uh, loosely based around this theme, I understand. I did a talk at Apostacon uh, around mm. this. Yep. And mm-hmm. um, that was the whole point. It was that, you know, I, I said, la- I even spoke last night and I said, you know, David Silverman tries to do everything, but he can't. And mm. Dan Barker. He is Freedom, but one man. He, Dan Barker at Freedom From Religion Foundation tries to do everything. Uh, Larry Decker at Secular Coalition. They try, but they can't. And mm-hmm. where we, us individuals, can pick up those pieces. That's up to us to do it. And if we don't, people are going to get away with things. I mean, I just helped a Ohio parent stop his kids' elementary school from holding graduation in a church because he did not want to go in a church that was plastered with the Word of God on every wall. Yeah, and he didn't know what to do, and he reached out to me, and we took care of it. Happy days. And well done. Uh, just, just think of what would happen if he said, oh, there's nothing that can be done about that. Mm. Right. Which is probably what he would have got had he approached most of the, well, governmental departments. Yeah, if he would have just gone to the school board and said something, if I would have said, oh, thanks for your concern. Yeah. But once they but get a legal document in the mail, they're too yeah, you're welcome to <laughs> You're welcome to homeschool your child. Yeah. <laughs> So I look forward to uh, that book. We'll get you back on the show to talk about that then and uh, perhaps the sequel, uh, Testicular Activism, uh, which <laughs> sounds like a lot more fun than secular activism and certainly much more fun to say. Yeah, t- testicular activism will be out November 1st. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been I haven't been on since episode 12, you know. Really? Yeah. Wow, that seems so long ago. That was like three years ago. <laughs> oh, my God. I had a whole book between then. <laughs> and now I'm joined by victim number two of Ken Ham's Ark Park. Aaron Ra, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. How did you pull up? How did I pull up? Hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that colloquialism means. How did you recover? Oh, okay. Very good. Well, uh it's it's a bit frustrating, as uh, a couple of my associates put it. it the, the disturbing part was when you get to the children's section. You know, that's that's always it, it, this this park. It's not an ark. You know, people want to think that he's it, built a large boat and that it, if, if the area did float, that we would be able to discover whether it would float away. It is a facade on a building. The facade, the front of the the front half that you can see, 
was built by the Amish to look like a look like an ark. Mm-hmm. But it is in fact just a museum to bewildering ignorance. Most of the space inside is taken up with long rampways for you know wheelchairs and such. Uh, there are only forty species on board, not the fourteen hundred that they promised. Now, if I was going to build this monstrosity and I really wanted to fool people into thinking that it was possible. I would have done something very different. I would have put the 1,400 species that they think were all the created kinds, 1,400 created kinds from which everything else would have emerged, Mm -hmm. along with a collection of beetles from which, you know, everything else is supposed to have emerged. You know, a collection of insects in there somewhere because you can't just make up an excuse for why they're not having it. And that's exactly what they did. They said, well, we don't need to take insects for whatever reason. Apparently, insects can just survive on their own. Well, they float. Yeah. But you know, I would have I would have uh, employed the inner decks the way that you know the the this mythic character would. You know, I would have had it you know filled with with uh, uh, bins like a barn and all of this. I would have put live animals in it. You know, I would have had a crew of eight shoveling feces constantly up and down these <laughs> little ladders that were going to the window up to the top. Uh, I know everything on board would have died of methane poisoning because according to the book. You know, Ken Ham says that he built this thing to the biblical specifications, but no, uh, he didn't say anything close to the truth, never does. The Ark was only supposed to have one window, and he has several. And the Ark was also not supposed to have air conditioning, which, of course, he has. Uh, it wasn't supposed to have a, a keel, because why would you need a keel if it doesn't have a destination or a means of propulsion? <laughs> I mean, what this thing was supposed to do is when the water comes, it was supposed to float, and then when the water goes away, it's supposed to land again. So no, the last thing he, you he, want is he a He launched keel. it down a ramp with such velocity that it was <laughs> due to be, you know, just going in, in a straight line for 40 days and 40 nights. And uh, that's when, you, you know, you might to want launched. to swerve to hit some sort of mountain. <laughs> yes, well, there's no means of steering, so he put a he put a bow on it, he put a keel on it, and uh, whereas in the, in the time of that that period, you know, the archaeologists say that there was a a profound flood on which the stories of Utnapishtim and Zeusudra and Atrahasis are all based, and that this occurred centered on the city of Shurapak in the Iraqi floodplain. Uh, around about 2900 BCE, and this is also concordant with, you know, the surrounding legends. They all also give the same depth of the flood, you know, it's 15 cubits, which curiously the Bible gives the same depth as that. You know, they're all talking about the same story. They're all sharing these details, you know, let's, let's release the bird to find land. Oh, the bird didn't come back. I guess the bird is fucked. No. I hope there's something to do with those. Release the hounds instead. <laughs> let's throw a tortoise over <laughs> <laughs> the land-seeking tortoise. <laughs> he better seek it fast. What sort of kind is that? <laughs> yeah, you know, I had to wonder. You know, we're not going to go into everything that's wrong with the ark. Uh, I'm I'm going to do a video series on that. I've been talking about doing this. You know, and thinking that it really isn't unnecessary anymore to do a series of videos explaining why the ark is absolutely impossible and how not only that we know that it couldn't have happened, but we know that it didn't happen. Mm regardless whether it was possible or not. But yet now it's become necessary because Ken Ham has built this ridiculous museum and I've seen the believers going in there and I don't know what the hell goes wrong with their heads. They walk out feeling amazed. Like one guy was standing next to me and said he didn't realize who he was standing next to and he said, this is a slap in the face for them evolutionists because they can't explain any of this. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yes, we can. Take a seat. <laughs> Pull up a tortoise. Make yourself at home. <laughs> yeah, and he said this while Ken Ham and Bill Nye 
were standing not eight feet away <laughs> arguing over this with, oh, with a, a huge crowd of flood of cameras, which was the reason I was there, in fact. Uh-huh. So you yeah. did go in. You did the, the full tour because yeah. uh, just just uh, recently, yesterday, I spoke to a good friend of mine, Dan Errol, and got his take on it all. And there was a little – he mentioned a little something off air that perhaps you can um, expound upon here. What was the go with the toilet scenario? Oh, well, uh, yeah, it seems that uh, the, the, the crew that – or the people, uh, tri-state freethinkers who had set up this protest, they did an outstanding job, such a good job, in fact, that I'm going to be interviewing Jim Helton on my podcast on just the, the impact that the protest had because it wasn't just a handful of people shouting at traffic to be ignored later on. We changed the story. There were 18 news media uh, different sources of news, newspapers, uh, TV, different uh, different online news, BuzzFeed, things like this. They were all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so what had happened was that in, instead of the story being, you know, hey, we look, they started this arc thing. It was this, you know, this park is open under extreme protests. And so there's a, a flood of negativity against the arc that came from now, you know, USA Today and, and CNN and things like that. This is what needed to happen. That, that people needed to take notice that you know this was a this is a, an attempt to control the beliefs of susceptible children and so forth and if this is extru- a, a strictly religious purpose now of course we have this thing in the United States called the uh, the lemon test which is based on lemon versus Kurtzman a court case in 1970 where you have three questions to determine whether a law or in this case a court decision is an unnecessary or an unconstitutional violation of the First Amendment in the Establishment Clause. Is the government trying to establish a religion? And one of those things is that the first question is, does it have a secular purpose? Ken Ham said that this park does not have a secular purpose, that it is strictly religious. The second question is, uh, does it advance one religion or hinder one religion? Well, yes, it does. Again, it's, it's, it's a very basic or a very fundamentalist view of Christianity and all other forms of Christianity are to be excluded. The people, the employees had to sign an oath of chastity if they were unmarried and everybody had to sign a vow of faith, which would have excluded homosexuals and Jews and Muslims and even Baptists and so forth if they didn't hold to an extreme religious view of science denialism mm-hmm. so then there you have the third question of the lemon test and I, oh boy i can't remember what that is off the top of my head but anyway it fails all three uh, oh, oh yes is it does uh, th- does this ruling constitute an uh, a, an excessive entanglement with religion well the state of kentucky had decided that this was a theme park and therefore it meant the neutral criteria to be worthy of tax incentives so they gave $18 million worth of tax breaks to this park, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty freaking excessive. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's failed all three prongs of the lemon test, and it is, it's science denial. It's de-educating children and, and, and disabling their ability to think rationally. It's a very disturbing thing, and unfortunately, I don't think there's going to be that many people that are holding on to this because you know how the, the the trends here in the United States, whereas a religion is dropping in all 50 states while mm-hmm. atheism is on the rise in all 50 states. And the attendance for the Noah's Ark Park on opening day, uh, I think they had uh, 4,000 people. It was about half of what they expected to have. And by 2 o'clock or 2.30 in the afternoon, the place was empty <laughs> on opening day. 
this warms the cockles of my heart. I mean, that's $18 million well spent. Yeah, no, there's a confusing things too because when I looked at the species of animals and what they had done is they created a handful of species that they put on here that they said are the created kind. So they're not all going to be modern species. The prototypes. Right. So these are the ones that every – see, because young earth creationists – say that they don't believe in macroevolution over millions of years, but they do apparently believe in a turbocharged, super uber, hyper caffeinated electro mega evolution happening only in about a century or so. Because they have 1,400 species become millions of species almost overnight. Yeah. And I, I pointed out how you have, uh, you have felines and panthers. You have specifically a lion and a house cat represented in ancient Egyptian artwork that's only like a hundred years or so after the date that we have for the flood, right? So uh-huh. that means that all of these species, all these genus of cats had to have evolved immediately as soon as they got off the boat. Hmm. And at the same time, of course, all these dinosaurs, and yes, there were dinosaurs. Oh, that was art- my other question. Yes. yes, there were there were sauropods and, veloc- and, and uh, velociraptors and things like this. <laughs> and, of course, I had to point it out, where are the feathers? And I had to explain ah. to these people, every dromaeosaurid had feathers. Where are these feathers? Well, of course, they can't admit that they have feathers, but they're contradicting themselves no, because, okay, have, you want me to believe that all of these dinosaurs, have, you know, skin. Yeah, you want me to believe that all of, these, <laughs> all of these other dinosaurs evolved from these, right? Well, then these, you, you're talking about, well, you, you, you don't say they evolved, they adapted, they're changes within kinds, whatever bullshit excuse well, you well, make if up. if they do adapt the so quickly, Aaron, um, why haven't we seen, <laughs> say, the dodo sort of adapt back into existence after making a swift exit stage right? A brilliant question. Well, there was a, there was a couple of others that I thought was curious. There was a mesohippus, which... Why would you have a transitional species horse? It's the one that has three toes. So this is before the toes become so vestigial that they no longer touch the ground. So it's it's actually running on three toes. And the earlier incarnation of that, of course, Hyracotherium had five toes. Right, but it's still obviously a horse, just a five-toed horse. And then, of course, the later ones that the, the vestigial toes grow up so much that they don't even exist anymore. And then you have horses and horses and mules and and or, or horses and asses and uh, zebras all running around on one toe, which is all they have. And people don't even realize that that's a toe. Mm-hmm. They think it's a completely differently Make constructed. Corner foot. like a dog on floorboards. Mm. So why would you have all these transitional species in there, right? And and so I found my favorite one, and I really want to get a picture of it with it when it's not in its little cage. They actually have the absolute best rendering of Pachycetus that has ever been done. But it's so confusing why they would put that on the ark, because Pachycetus is the earliest incarnation of a, rare, of a very fluid transition leading from four-legged walking animals to whales. Right. This, this Pachycetus is brilliantly done. It's absolutely it, – it's, it, it's beautiful. I, I, I wish I could get a full you – know, I couldn't get a picture of it because they're hella tightly connected bars and a, and a, a, a like uh, a chicken wire. Because you know Noah had chicken wire apparently, uh, and <laughs> they have to. Yeah, the ark was also to keep the velociraptors in the cage. The ark also had specially patented steel braces, rivets, and screws running throughout, which of course Noah would not have had. And in Noah's day, they would have lashed the beams together with reeds. They would have actually tied it together, and and the beams themselves would have been reeds. The boats at that time were made basically of grass covered in in pitch. But this, of course, is finely sanded, planed planks of wood with steel rivets and such. Oh, and these huge metal braces on it all over the place. Mm. And then, of course, electric lights. And this is the only time, really, that Ken Ham says, I don't know, because he often says, we don't know how they built the ark. Well, yeah, there's also that there's three females in there that didn't have names that suddenly have names now, and it was (laughs) acquired how to. Oh, yes, Dan was telling me about that. 
Yeah. How do you how do you get the names? Well, we just made up what we want to because that's what this is all about. <laughs> <laughs> just make it up. So, did you enjoy yourself? Uh, well, let's see. I, I know that Eric Hoven uh, is uh, you know he's the, uh, the he's an example of the acorn that had that didn't fall far from the con man. He is the son of the convicted tax fraud Kent Hoven. Mm-hmm. He's he's the ultimate. Um, uh, let's see what type of religion he is in a snake oil. Uh, salesman of religion. He, what Eric Hoven likes to do is he likes to show up at these kind of things whenever there's a protest or anything like that. And he, he goes and he vies for, for Ken Ham. And what he wants to do is he gets out of his cameras and tries to intig- intimidate or, or not, he can't intimidate. I'm sorry. That, what's the word? Um, instigate or irritate because he's really good at irritating. <laughs> and so he tries to get people angry at him so that he can chop the video footage up and make them look stupid. Yeah. Right. Well, in this case, when he had his cameras on me and somebody had asked me to come interrupt this because he was he was actually tearing into somebody that wasn't even with our group. He was he was like recording video of a Christian who had showed up to pro- protest with us and was not part of the group at all. But I intervened and then somehow or other the, the, the conversation that I had with Eric Hoban, uh, raw story. Right. And was picked up all over the news everywhere. So it was like I became famous overnight just for, for arguing with this twit. And what, what's he going to do? What's he going to do now? Because like I, I see my name in all these different news sources saying, you know, atheist humiliates Christian at Art Park. <laughs> <laughs> Even more famous. Well done, Aaron. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. So I don't understand why, why Noah's Ark would have a pack of Cetus on board because – you know, they would make the excuse that they don't have to have whales on board because whales are outside. Well, why would you have a pack of cedars? Is even older. Oh, yes, I forgot. They think that the world is. How do they make sure that the salinity was right for the water? <laughs> Which, of course, doesn't explain what happened to all the ammonites and trilobites and mosasaurs and ichthyosaurs and plesiosaurs. Why would there only be whales left and not any of these other things? It certainly clarifies a bit for me. I mean, it's now perfectly. Logical that there's no more diplodoci sort of walking around, <laughs> and I thank Ken for it. I mean, I was, I've had a few <laughs> sleepless nights on that one, <laughs> yeah, and there were quite a few different species of that, by the way. Ah, yes, for example, one that we thought wasn't even a species for a while. Uh, the, 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 the original uh, construct of Brontosaurus was later said to be an apatosaurus wearing the head of a cameosaurus or a chimerosaurus, but then they uh, they found. There was a number of tests that were done just last year that said, no, this is not an apatosaurus. There are too many differences between this and apatosaurus. This is clearly something else. And then they found a head that goes with the something else. And so they said, well, there's no need to name it because we already know what it is. For 100 years, we've known it was brontosaurus. So we, I have textbooks that say that the brontosaurus doesn't really exist. Well, now we have to change them. Whoop, looks, look, Virginia, it looks like there is a brontosaurus. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> But I'm Not too many of them on the Ark, by the way. <laughs> very few, I would imagine, on three decks. Look, Aaron, thank you very much for fighting the good fight and uh, taking control of the media coverage of this so that the poor little kitties don't go and catch whatever Ken's got. <laughs> My pleasure. That's, what I, that's why I do what I do. <laughs> All the best, Aaron. Good to speak to you again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Herd mentalists, hear me. It's a very long episode, and I'm under the weather, so I'll keep this very brief. My thanks to the new Patreon supporters, Philosoraptor Jesus, probably not his real name, Edward, PK, Nathan, Willard, and Beth, and also thank you to Frankie for the PayPal donation. Now, it's been three months since the last episode, which I 
apologise for, by the way. Moving house and life got in the way. I've set up a new recording studio that sounds miles better than the previous place I was at. Uh, it'd sound even better if I didn't have whatever it is I've got. In the three months since the last episode, I've received a bunch of Kiva loan repayments because, as you well know by now, 10% of the money raised from this show goes to women in developing countries to further their education. Now, I'd normally get no illusions from the scathing atheist to do this sort of thing for me, but he's moving house right now, so I'm going to have to give it my best shot, flu and all. So, <clears throat> here we go. Madeline in Palestine, Oren in Zambia, Catalina in Peru, Celia in Honduras, Bakhtinisio in Tajikistan, Sorsan in Palestine, Zinab in Lebanon, Karin in Armenia, Soleha in Tajikistan, Murafat also in Tajikistan, and Anahit in Armenia. And if you enjoy the Herd Mentality and wish to support the show, please do so at herdmentalitypodcast.com and click on the support tab. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Take care. And ladies and gentlemen, joining me from two different countries, I've got Michael Boyd. Welcome. Thank you, Adam. How's Thailand treating you? Oh, it's wonderful. I love being over here. Yeah, yeah, and um, we're envious. (sighs) Makes us angry. And who's angry? Is that uh, Danny and Tess Jarman? Yes, we're angry and we're lacking a coffee now. (laughs) Yeah, Michael's been making his coffee all morning and I'm recovering from man flu. I've been coughing up more crap than a Donald Trump speechwriter, so... (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty substantial, It's (laughs) it's been non-stop. There's a mountain of tissues next to my bed that would make the Pope blush, so... just Or aroused. If that paints the appropriate picture, um, all the better. Yeah, I've got that picture. Extremely appropriate, actually. The cleric with a pile of, uh, you know, soiled uh, Kleenex next to the bed. <laughs> okay, so we've all convened here to discuss Census No Religion, which is the campaign that the AFA is running at the moment. Danny, what's, what's the go with this? What's the point of the campaign? Well, I mean, the point of the campaign, I guess, from the AFA's perspective is twofold. One is... We obviously want to promote the concept of people that are atheists or not religious being able to be more outspoken and take opportunities like this to be able to put their hand up and say, yes, well, I'm not religious as well. But the other side of it, the statistics. So we want people to think about do they actually have a religion whilst they may you know, not think about religion or non-religion on a day-to-day basis. They may have been brought up a Catholic or an Anglican or that sort of thing, but really haven't done anything with it or really thought about it for 20 years or something. And get them to take the opportunity to really sit down and think about, am I really religious or am I not? Or even if someone's a, a Christian or a Muslim, put down what you are on like your particular religious category on the census so that we've got some accurate data. If I didn't tick Christian, can I look forward to seeing some more mosques built in my local area? Well, that seems to be an email chain that, that goes around, and we'll probably see that. I haven't seen it yet this year, but um, oh. I'm waiting for the rehash of that one where it's like, you need to mark Christianity down or else they're going to build a mosque next door to you, which I find those sort of fear campaigns from people that are trying to put themselves forward as the advocates of truth, quite humorous. I mean, speaking about truth, and that's really what the AFA is promoting, to to think about it and write something down truthfully, but what if I was a Jedi, truthfully? 
Um, look, if you were a Jedi, I'd want to see some examples of what you can actually do. Because from what I can see, all of the Jedi are able to do these amazing ma- magic things. So can can you as a Jedi actually do some of these amazing things? Can you Absolutely. Can you, do, and, um, can you levitate things? Not so much the levitation thing, but I am able to open automatic doors with a gesture. <laughs> right. Does that qualify me as Jedi? I yeah, I still think you're struggling to be a Padawan. Okay, so shouldn't write Jedi. What what happens if I did write Jedi, for example? And I I understand that when the concept of people writing Jedi down first came along, I think it was it wasn't the last one. I think it was a couple of censuses ago that it really started to kick on. It was almost like using that opportunity like a donkey vote. Or to say, you know, I just don't care about this so much that I'm going to troll the Australian Bureau of Statistics. But the downside of people marking Jedi is that it goes into a different bucket, as if you hadn't have answered the question. Mm. So it, it sort of takes away from our ability to get a, a truly accurate snapshot. So the more people that respond accurately and don't donkey vote and don't um, leave the question blank, the better understanding we have to look at our particular society at this snapshot in time. And and these statistics do get used by government and do get used to justify decisions which, from what we can see, benefits religion. And as we're at the turning of the tide, where, I mean, my expectation is that we'll move from being the, the second largest single category to being the largest with this census. You might even see a push by religious organisations to have the question removed altogether. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if they'd have a great deal of success with that. But there's been a campaign that the AFA has been running. And, and Michael, what's the idea of the campaign? What's the AFA trying to achieve in terms of promotion? And how was it funded? Well, in terms of promotion, I guess putting our name up in, in lights is a good thing for the AFA. They do say any publicity is good publicity. We haven't really had much of a negative response to it. So it it certainly will raise our profile, we hope. But um, more importantly, as Danny pointed out, it's really an awareness campaign to raise people's awareness about the question uh, regarding religion on the census and hope that people uh, or encourage people to think seriously before they answer that question. And as Danny indicated, you know, there's... There's probably lots of people in the community who, if you just sort of front up to them and say, well, what's your religion? They'll just immediately default to the one that they were born into or baptised into or, you know, perhaps had involvement with when they were a child through Sunday school and that sort of thing. Or, like in my case, being forced to go to church against your will for years (laughs) and sitting in the back of the church bored to death for hours and on, on end. But a lot of people who are in that position are probably not religious in any real sense. You know, they don't go to church, they don't probably have any engagement with uh, a particular religion except in you know situations where they might attend a wedding or go to a funeral Hmm. and they're the people that we're aiming our program at or our campaign at urging them to think seriously about the question and if they you know consider that in fact their engagement with religion is pretty close to zero then to encourage them to answer the question that they have no religion and yeah, we've had quite a bit of success with the last campaign before the 2011 census. As Danny pointed out, we were the second biggest category in the 2011 census behind Catholics, which I think was like 25%. So 
the, the census figures break up the different Christian groups. So when they're aggregated, I think the Christian uh, proportion was about 61% at the last census. Now, we feel that um, quite a, a large proportion of that 61% are people who are really not engaged with any particular Christian group or with Christianity in a general sense, and they're the ones that we we're asking to sort of think seriously before they answer the question. Mm. So what's happened in other countries where no religion has been moved to the top of the uh, census list? Oh, quite dramatic uh, change, actually. Um, I think in New Zealand, after a similar change to their census, the, f- the figure for no religion went up to approximately 50%. And I think there are similar results in the UK, where I think uh, the no religion grouping is now around about 45%. Mm-hmm. And I think the similar sort of figures uh, apply in even Ireland, actually. Oh, wow. I'd need to check on that. I must say, Danny might have I, a bit I of... I suspect it may have been Scotland. Scotland, yes. Mm. Okay. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. But, Tess, have you been keeping an eye on the social media, per chance? I have. There has been an email passed around. I mean, I don't know how significant that is, though, mm. but there was an email that was passed through. Various um, people have said that they've received an email through, I guess, the Christian right wing And it's just really fear-mongering, really. Mm. That's how I saw it. So speaking the truth as a challenge, I mean, this campaign, there's been a heap of publicity. So the president of the AFA, Kylie Sturgis High, uh, has been flat out running around doing about 50,000 interviews across all different types of media around Australia. And there have been a few organisations that have been upset. Uh, One of the radio interviews, so 2UE with George and Paul, they didn't really give Kylie a a fair run, I felt. There's been a couple of Christians on Facebook um, uh, sort of satirising the logo that's been produced for this campaign and a couple of blogs out there with 14 subscribers who have uh, had a couple of thoughts to say that... But has any of this accurately represented what the AFA's position actually is? Well, I mean, I think most people that aren't familiar with atheism or the AFA would possibly assume that our primary goal is about we have to convert atheists or, or more atheists, we need to pad our numbers or that sort of thing. Where, I mean, the reality is, from our perspective, we want truth in the statistics. When I looked at, there was one, I think it was one of the satire ones, or I'm not even sure if it was meant to be satire, but it basically used the the same logo as the censusnoreligion.org.au website, which is where you'll find all of the information. And it basically said, oh, don't mark down no religion because you're going to help the AFA and... Unless you can categorically, I'm paraphrasing, but unless you can categorically uh, rule out the existence of any god or anything like that, you need to put religion down. And I I looked at that and I thought, that's a real, like, apart from it being a really bad argument, it was almost like they're raising the white flag. They know that the writing is on the wall. They know that the trending is heading towards, particularly with the younger generation, the heading is moving towards a a secular nation that is primarily non-religious. And they're trying to grasp at straws to try and maintain that level of control that they have. And they've got, you know, decades of it, but they're just not knowing how to deal with that 
change in these uh, demographic trends. It's just picking up on what Danny was saying. Uh, there was an article in, oh, gee, I think it was called The Spectator by, I think it's Peter Jensen, the um, one of the Anglican Archbishops of Sydney who, who was sort of suggesting, oh, everybody has a religion, really, when you sort of scratch the surface. Beneath us all, we're, we're all spiritual, therefore we should be all marking, you know, other, if we're not sort of Anglican or Catholic. Um, and as, as Danny said, it's a pretty sort of desperate uh, cry from uh, the organised religious groups. When you look at the actual engagement that they maintain with their so-called followers, you know, the people who actually go to church is like a tiny percentage of the um, alleged 61% who claim to be Christian in the census. So, you know, I think guys like Jensen are clutching at straws in a, in a sense. <laughs> they really need to be engaging with their adherents and getting them to be more involved in their actual religious practice rather than sort of criticising us for publicising the question on the census with the aim of getting a sort of truthful result from people. <laughs> so as part of the campaign, the AFA is funding billboards around Australia. What's the go there, Tess? I think it's just the AFA wants to get a clear message out to the public just to represent what they truly are representing religiously. I'm not technically involved with the AFA. I'm, I'm a member. But um, the message that I, I get from parents, because I've, I've got school children, is I tend to just talk to people in a very sort of more personal way and what I see is that when I'm talking to and in particular with with teachers there was with one experience that I had with a teacher who she actually brought up religion I was there just volunteering some some time helping out in the classroom and she actually brought up when we had a moment she brought up the fact that you know she was Catholic and so I this was at the last census I said to her that oh, okay, so you're Catholic. So I said, do you believe in a God? And she just looked up into the sky and sort of said, well, actually, I don't know. And I said, so when you say you're Catholic, what does that mean to you? And she said, well, you know, I was brought up Catholic. I said, okay, so you were brought up Catholic. So when the census comes around, what are you going to mark on on that? And she said, well, I guess I'll mark Catholic. And I said, so do you go to church? And she said, no. And I said, so you don't believe in a God? I said, do, so you don't pray? And she said, no, not really. So you're going to mark Catholic on the census. Why? And I just said to her, you know, when you do that, um, what you're actually doing is giving a purpose to something that you don't actually believe in. You've got money funneling into religious organisations taxpayers' dollars, which is part of you, you pay taxes, and you're going to be giving those monies to those religious organisations in regards to the, the very fact that you're not believing really in a God or a religion. How did she respond? She actually looked at me and just went, oh, actually, I've never looked at it that way. And I said, you'd be surprised that a lot of people don't. And she said, well, you know what? I'm going to be marking no religion. And I said, good on you. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my bit for social media. (laughs) (laughs) It has ruffled a few feathers. And look, as we we all know, any publicity is good publicity. Briefly to finish up, what what else does the AFA do? Well, we've got a very uh, active forum and uh, quite a, a busy Facebook page. We 
regularly engage with in, in the media with uh, religious groups on various issues. I mean, the Christians are notorious for poking their noses into people's bedrooms and telling everybody else how they should behave, particularly in re- relation to sexual matters, which really aggravates me. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that, that you know we're often doing is, is responding to the sort of lunacy that they, they, they put out, often around sexual issues, things like gay marriage, abortion, stem cell research, attitudes to homosexuality. Th- these are common issues that Christians want to sort of berate the rest of the community about and we're there to you know respond to to their criticisms or their philosophizing by putting an alternative point of view you know one that reflects we think um more general community standards Mm, humanity then if people wanted to get involved or join the afa how could they do that Best way would be to go to our webpage, I think, and, and you can sign up. There's a, a, an application form for membership there. It's it's very cheap to be a member. I think as well, if, if someone hasn't heard of the AFA so far, the Atheist Foundation of Australia, we're also involved in um, bringing out speakers. We've uh, done two global atheist conventions in the past, and we're in the process of putting together another one. Ooh, are we uh, allowed we just to talk brought about out that? the Unholy Trinity Tour. Oh, I've never uh, heard of them. Yeah, which uh, you were involved with there, Adam. Apparently. Um, but also on a, a, we, we engage, obviously, with other secular bodies, the other atheist groups that are state and regional-based, you know, humanists and rationalists. And on an even lower level, we, we get a lot of people that contact us that need assistance with, you know, questions or they might be dealing with their, their family a certain way. We can help provide them with just some feedback on on different approaches, or even down to going along at a parent's request to a PNC meeting where they're, they're trying to get chaplains in their school. Or uh, just this week, the AFA was invited by the National Rugby League to come in and do a talk on atheism as part of their elite player welfare program. So they got a, a bunch of different um, religious groups in there and they decided, well, hey, we're going to get you know some people from the Atheist Foundation as well. And so we ran two sessions, uh, one in Sydney and one in Brisbane, for the National Rugby League, which was a really interesting discussion. Wow. Yeah, just picking up on what Danny said, I think we should acknowledge that uh, our campaign has been supported by other sort of rationalist and uh, humanist groups. The Rationalist Society of Australia made a substantial financial contribution to the campaign. I think the humanists in Victoria also contributed and um, a group called Sydney Atheists, who are quite an active um, atheist uh, meet-up group in Sydney, made a, another financial contribution to mm. the campaign. A shout-out to Steve Martin there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Steve's done, done a great job, actually. So very thankful for the contributions of these other organisations because without that, you wouldn't have been able to have a, like a national billboard campaign to promote the Census No Religion Yeah, that, that's true, Adam. The money we got from uh, the Rationalist Society of Australia and the Humanists and Sydney Atheists um, made a big difference to the um, our capacity to put on a really good campaign. And I should also mention that most of our funding came from a crowdfunding exercise that we ran, or, and we're still running. And that response there has been great. I think it's very close to being achieved. We're only $1,000 short on our target for that. Hmm. Yes, it's it's been fantastic, actually. All right, well, we'll whip whip the hat around and sell a couple of cows and do what we've got to do. And you you can find a link to that at uh, censusnoreligion.org.au. It's worth sharing that on social media if you're able to. 
because it really does answer a lot of uh, tricky questions that, are, that people may not have thought about. Feel free to disagree with them if you so chose, but uh, I think it's been pretty well written. It, it answers most of those FAQs really, really well. So censusnoreligion.org.au. And the census is on the 9th of August in Australia. So if you're an Australian, I think you can even do it online this year. You can jump on the census website input your details and help the government accurately reflect who's in Australia. Guys, thank you very much for coming on The Herd Mentality and talking about your latest works. All the very best. Thanks for having us, Adam. Thanks again, Adam. See you, Danny. See you, Tess. See you, Adam. <laughs> <laughs>